0: Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to somebody, to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? Be, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. This is God's Word. I want to make a disclaimer up front that this sermon is not for everyone this morning. This sermon is not for those who have your act together, spiritually speaking. If you've got it all figured out, if you're good enough then you might just want to pull out a pen and start drawing the Eiffel Tower in this little sermon uh, notes section. The sermon is for everyone who tries but fails. It's for those of us who take three steps forward and then find us slipping back a couple steps. This sermon is for those who hate the fact that there are certain things in life that just always seem to get you. You're resolved You try hard, but you just can't seem to shake gossiping. You just can't seem to keep your cool, and you explode in anger. You just can't help it, and you click on that website. Or you buy that red pocketbook, even though you have 27 other red pocketbooks. You don't... It's for those of us who say the mean thing when we shouldn't. Or don't lend the ear when we should. If you find that you cannot be perfect, if there are conversations you regret, if there are actions you regret, then this sermon is for you. I grew up hearing the expression, the only thing certain in life is death and taxes. I'd like to add one more to that list. The only thing in life that is certain is death and taxes and sin. In almost every area of life, not just human uh, our human spiritual side there is, there is a negative aspect of uh, of that something in all areas of life. For example, a friend of mine went to school to be an environmental engineer where he learned how to deal with waste uh, wastewater, waste treatment plants and uh, you know. Uh, other environmental toxins. And he used to tell me that uh, there was never a question of need for his field. There will always be need for water treatment. There will always be need for waste management. If you let sewage go, it will quickly become a hazardous waste site. It's true in every area of life. Fire outside the bounds of a fire ring or fireplace can destroy forests and homes. As we see in Colorado, water left to stagnate will become full of disease and and bacteria and bugs. But water left uncontrolled will cause flooding and torrents that will do damage. A good tasting beer, if consumed in too much quantity and too frequently, can turn into a life devastating addiction that wreaks havoc on relationships. Sex outside of God's design leads to deviant behavior that breeds all kinds of brokenness and emptiness. Food, material goods, relationships, entertainment, sports, every area of life has a downside. The possibility of turning good things sour. Our lawn needs to be mowed or it turns into weeds or hay or... Your car needs an oil filter and regular oil change, or it gunks up the engine and the engine will seize. This phenomena also carries in, carries over into our spiritual lives, into the health and well-being of our soul. Sin is an ever-present phenomena in the Christian life. You and I sin. You and I mess up. We say things we shouldn't have. We do things We shouldn't have. We refuse to do things that we should do. We can fly off the handle for no reason. We can have huge egos. We can be self righteous and unloving. We can be greedy or lustful or stingy or jealous. There's no escaping it, there's no trying to dress it pretty. Even though we are followers of Christ, even though we are Christians, we sin. We're sinful. In fact, the Bible says it clearly in 1 John 1 8. It says, If we claim to be out without sin, we deceive ourselves. <laughs> if you claim to be without sin, you're deceiving yourself, the Bible says. It's what we do when we fail, it's what we do when we fall, it's what we do when we get tripped up that makes all the difference in our faith and in our life satisfaction. This sermon is the second half of a two-part series we started last week entitled Finding God in Unexpected Places. And the idea that we all need to walk away with this morning is this, God is there when we fail. God is there when we give in to temptation. God is there when we blow it. God is there when we fall and trip up. And he's not there to say, hi, caught you. He's there to pick us up, dust us off, and call us back on to the forward to the road in front of us. I'm spoiling the sermon up front. The unexpected place that we find God when we open our eyes and look for him is right there in the moment we blow it. God is there, even when we sin. But don't take my word for it. Let's look at our scripture. Let's start at verse 11. Um, in the same way, we'll look at 11 and 12 here. Oh, Let's do 11, 12, and 13. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin. I think if you advance the next slide, it'll go right to it. It should be broken up. It, uh, maybe not. Let's, is there a verse 11 around there? It, there we go. Well, this may look like a little bit opposite of what I mentioned in the introduction. But here the Apostle Paul is telling us, don't sin. Verse 13 clearly says, don't offer your parts, uh, parts of your body to sin. Don't sin. But even more helpful, I think, is verses uh, 11 and verse 12. Verse 11 says, count yourself dead to sin. And verse 12 says, uh, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Paul has given us the first glimpse of a strategy to living a victorious life. Don't let sin reign in your body. Don't let sin have the keys to your mind. Don't move over and give sin the driving driver's seat. That's verse 12. Verse 11 is very similar. Count yourselves dead to sin. Or in other words, don't let sin get a response out of you. Verses 11 and verse 12 provide this two-step formula to help to avoid sin. Let's look at uh, 11 and 12 a little more closely, and I want to give this illustration for you. Let's say you're out camping in the northern woods, and you're taking a hike, and you're miles from nowhere, or miles from nowhere, miles from anywhere, maybe, and uh, you're out all by yourself, okay? And you're hiking down the path, and all of a sudden, right in front of you, boom, jumps a big bear. And uh, It's either a black bear or a grizzly bear, whichever you're most afraid of. What do you do? Do you, A, run as fast as you can to get away from the bear? Do you, B, kick the bear as hard as you can in the shins? Or, C, do you play dead? Who votes for A? B? C, who votes for C? Okay, very good. I wasn't really buying Play Dead, so I, I, I looked it up in a survival guide online, and sure enough, um, if a bear charges at you, you're supposed to stop and remain motionless. You're not supposed to make eye contact. Very bad if you make eye contact. So you should stop, remain motionless, and uh, avert your eyes. Let the bear sniff you. Um, don't engage the bear. It's the best way to survive a run in with a bear. That's what verse 11 is saying to us about sin. Step one is consider yourself dead to sin. Don't engage it. You're in a conversation and you have a burning desire to tear someone down, one of your coworkers or or neighbors or relatives. Don't engage that desire. You want to float your own boat. Your ego is. Don't engage it. Let it pass. You see an attractive guy or girl, and you want to take your thoughts a bit further than appreciating beauty, don't make eye contact. Don't engage lust, or you'll lose. You're feeling depressed. You want some relief. You want to go chase down a six pack. Don't engage, don't self medicate. Play dead to the desire. Step one. Step two bails us out if we fail, step one. If we end up engaging a little bit and we, we're failing, step two bails us out. If sin finds its way into your life, don't make any more room for it. It says, don't let, uh, don't let sin reign in your body. Reign like a king reigns over his kingdom. Don't let sin rule. Don't make any more room for it. If you find yourself tempted to look at porn, and you flub and you go on a clicking spree, don't let lust rule your mind or your computer. Set up an accountability software or get a filter. Accountability software is great. I've got one on my smartphone. I've got one on my laptop. So if I click wrongly, Justin Hogendorn gets an email <laughs> showing what I clicked. That's pretty good accountability, right? Don't let sin reign. Don't give it any more access to any more of your mind, your heart, your soul. If you have an anger problem and you blow up disproportionately at your kids or your spouse or your coworker or your peers, get some help. Don't just resolve to be an angry person to the grave. Don't let it continue. Step one, step two. Here's the big, the big how. how. How can I do this? How can I keep step one and step two going effectively in my life? Verse 14 gives us the answer. Verse 14 says this. For sin shall not be your master. Sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but you're under grace. You may say, oh, that's great, but what does that mean? How does that help me? This makes all the difference. Let's take this, verse 14, um, phrase by phrase, concept by concept. First, sin shall not be your master. Let's say uh, my neighbor comes over and says, hey, I could use some help with some yard work, you know, picking up the leaves, cutting the grass. Um, w- would your son like to make any extra money? And so I, I would say, yeah, hold on a second, let me ask. And so I ask my son, he says yes, and... Follows the neighbor over. Well, it turns out that my neighbor is a psychotic tyrant, but I didn't know it. And he treats my son harshly, like some warped slave master. And he gives him pruning shears, and he says, "Okay, go cut the grass." And it's a half-acre yard, and he's expected to cut the grass with uh, pruning shears, you know, inch by inch. And he's driving him. And lunchtime comes around, and I haven't seen him yet, so I decided to go home, go over, and uh, bring him back for lunch. And while we're walking back, my son uh, explains to me that this guy is psychotic, and he he is just harsh, and he's uh, berating while he's cutting the grass by hand. What I say to my son then, well, you made an arrangement. You said you'd cut the grass for 20 bucks you have to go back till the grass is finished. No. I would be an incredibly warped dad if I did that. What if my neighbor came over and said, your son hasn't finished, he needs to come back? Would I side with my neighbor? No. Would I make him go back? No way, it's ridiculous. My son is not owned by my neighbor, and my son is not his slave. In fact, not only would I say no, my son's not going anywhere near you ever again, I would probably... (coughs) say a few other words of Christian encouragement. So it is with jealousy, or lust, or greed, or ego, or gossip, or rage, or whatever it is that trips us up on a regular basis. It has no right, it has no authority, it has no control over us. It is not our master, because we are not under law. what does it mean to be under the law? Under the law means making your righteousness, making your standing with God based on how well you follow the rules, how well you keep the Old Testament moral law, how well you can be good enough. And if our standing with God is based on how well we follow the rules, it means we're never going to measure up. Think of it this way. Did, Did any of you guys have a really poor subject in school? math or science or history or english for me in college it was physics too I, I was i was pretty decent at math and so i decided to take physics as my 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 two science courses physics one i got a 4.0 i aced it it was great physics two i did miserably it was it got into chaos theory and quantum physics and i just couldn't wrap my mind around it and uh, now let's say that the teacher said to um, the physics two teacher says, "All right, you need a 100% to pass my class. You need a hundred to pass my class. You're either perfect or you're not. Well, that means one question wrong on a quiz or a test, and you might as well quit. You might as well wait till next year to take it over again. That means you're late. You're, you miss one class and you get docked. There goes your hundred. That means you." don't perfectly complete a homework and you get a point docked. There goes your hundred. Might as well drop out. Well, when it comes to God's perfect standard, standard, measuring up to God is even more difficult than passing physics, too. It's impossible for us to be perfect, and that's what God is. I tried to experiment a few years back I tried to be perfect for 24 hours. I'm not joking. I got a little notepad out, and I said, tomorrow I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be, it's going to be a sinless day for me. And uh, honestly, it was like five minutes after I got out of bed that I was like selfish and said something I shouldn't have. And I'm like, oh, there goes the perfect day. Well, I'm still going to minimize my sin greatly. And maybe I did because I was so alert and aware to it. But by the time I went to bed, I had 17 items on that list. That's trying. Go ahead, try it. You try to be perfect for just 24 hours, but let me say, be honest with yourself. Don't just record your actions, record your thoughts. If we're playing the I am good enough game, we'll never win. We'll always be stuck in physics too, repeating it over and over again every year. We'll always be a slave to sin if we're under the law if we're using the law as a benchmark, well, we might be better than this person, our neighbor, but we're not better than this person. We'll never, and even if we are better than most people, we still fall incredibly short of God's perfection. Thankfully, anyone who's in Christ is not under the law, but we're under grace. And this is the power to overcome sin. I want to use another Bible passage real quick to help understand this one. Ryan, if you could find 1 John 1, 8. 1 John 1, 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. If you could advance the slide. My dear children, I write this so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. This is an amazing passage here. This is telling us why grace will pick us up and pull us forward every time. 1 John 1, 8 says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. So that means if God doesn't forgive our sins, he is unfaithful and unjust. Do you get that? If God doesn't forgive your sins, he is unfaithful and unjust. And God will never be unfaithful and unjust. Why would God be unfaithful and unjust if he didn't forgive our sins? Because Christ paid for him. Christ paid for him. So right there, when we fall, when we trip, and we find ourselves down, God is there. Grace can get the last word if you let it. Because when you sin, when you fail, when you flub, When you fall short, Christ is there saying, I know. That's why I died. Now get up. Here's the path. Go forward. Live victoriously. You are not under law. You are under grace. That is the power to overcome sin. If you can find God when you sin, your life will change. Has anybody seen Rocky? This is going back a little ways. How about, you know, Rocky one, two, three? 2, 3? I don't know how many Rockies I stopped after a while. But in, they're always the same movie. Sylvester Stallone really gets knocked around for a bunch of rounds, and he falls down a bunch of times, and, and really when he should be close to dead, he's laying on the canvas... And uh, his coach and his girlfriend or his wife, depending on which number it is, is saying, stay down, Rocky, stay down. And the enemy's saying, get up, Rocky, get up. Sin is like that, but the opposite. When we trip up, and then we feel bad about, our, about tripping up. When we fail, when we have one drink too many, when we say that one word, when, we, when we're jealous When we see that person, when envy rises up, when materialism rises up, when we buy that $150 dress and we shouldn't have, sin is right there saying, stay down. You're no good. You can't do it. You're worthless. God can never use you. God doesn't even like you anymore because you keep falling again and again. When sin is down there trying to keep you down, grace is calling you, get up, get up. Don't do it under your power. Do it under Christ. Get up. The road is before you. Walk in righteousness. That's the rest of our passage. If we could look at uh, 15 through 18 again. The more we realize that grace has the last word, the less we'll sin. The less we'll fall. The less we'll fail because... It'll slowly, bit by bit, over time, get easier when we see we're not depending on whether or not we can do it, but we're depending on Christ's righteousness to do it. Verse 15 says this What then, Paul says, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Paul's saying, okay, since we're not under the law anymore, should we just keep on going out sinning? (laughs) By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. No, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. What Paul is saying is you're not under the law, but you're under grace. So let grace propel you to A slavery, a good slavery, a slavery to righteousness, a slavery to victorious living, a slavery that will lead you to healed relationships, a slavery that looks like this. You get very angry and you blow up at someone, and it causes um, tension, it causes distance, it causes uh, resentment. It breaks down the relationship a little bit. And so you fall, and sin is saying, you're no good, stay down. And Christ is calling you, grace, get up, get up. And so you get up, and then grace is calling you to go restore the relationship. Go to that person and say, man, I'm sorry. You really frustrated me, but I went over the line. Forgive me for blowing up. All of a sudden, the relationship's mended. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more, and is calling us to the life of God has for us, and the more we let grace pick us up, the more we'll see how joyful, how peaceful, how satisfying the path to righteousness is. And I can't say I'm uh, if I tried now, a few years later, that twenty-four hour don't sin um, experiment. I would still fail, but I could say that I'm making progress. I'm I'm light years. ...from where I was five years ago. I've got I've got gazillion light years left to go... ...but I'm making progress. And really, it doesn't depend on how good I am. It depends on how much I can let God take over. Let God reign and rule. And when I fall... ...if I fall and see God... ...I will get back up and keep walking. But if I fall and I refuse to see God... I will wallow in sin, and I will sin again and again. We have been set free from sin. May we walk in that freedom.